When something happens to your car, you might say, But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. When something happens to your car, you might say, But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Posh Peanut. It has quickly become my favorite clothing brand for my little girl, Tilden. And now I have the opportunity to offer every listener that signs up 10% off their first order. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, then enter code TILLY at checkout. That's T-I-L-L-Y. When you place your first order and have your little one in their cute Posh Peanut outfit, be sure to use the hashtag Posh Peanut and tag me, True Crime Fan Club Pod, so I can see how cute your little one looks in their new Posh Peanut. Once again, click the link in my bio and enter code TILLY, that's T-I-L-L-Y, at checkout to get 10% off your first order. I am so thrilled to be back hosting True Crime Fan Club. Trust me, I have missed all of you. So thank you for your continued support of the show. It truly means the world. To my pod friends who graciously stepped in to assist me, thank you and I love you forever. To the team behind the scenes, thank you for your grace and motivation. I'm the luckiest person in the world. I also want to remind you that you can join me on Spotify Greenroom every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central for True Crime Convos. Don't worry, if you miss it, you can always catch up on the feed the next day, but do try and join us. I need some fellow true crime aficionados to join in on the discussion. Okay, enough of the business. Explicit content is found in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. It's common knowledge that children who are abused or maltreated frequently have long-lasting effects as a result of the trauma they suffered. There are many physical, psychological, behavioral, and even societal implications of child abuse. The immediate result of child abuse is usually physical, both in terms of their wounds, but also potential brain damage from violent abuse. Mistreatment can lead to stunted brain growth, which can lead to psychological issues immediately or later in life. However, many studies have found that child abuse has been linked to a higher rate of diseases such as diabetes, arthritis, back problems, vision problems, and more. Psychological issues that stem from child abuse include poor cognitive skills, depression, low self-esteem, and attachment issues. Children who grew up in these situations have a higher prevalence of suicide attempts than those who did not. Additionally, those adults who suffer from major depression have lower positive outcomes with antidepressants. Children of abuse are more likely to develop antisocial tendencies, which can lead to criminal behavior. Other studies show that abused or neglected children are more likely to engage in sexual risk-taking as they reach adolescence. 
including a higher number of sexual partners and having sex in exchange for money or other material items. There is a higher prevalence of chemical dependency in adults who were maltreated as a child, particularly alcoholism. Of course, children of abuse are also more likely to also abuse their own children, although these numbers are not as high as previously believed. However, in a study from the early 2010s, it showed that 26% of inmates incarcerated for murder had been subjected to child abuse, and an additional study showed that of 43 death row inmates, 36 had been sexually or physically abused, 37 were neglected, and 31 witnessed domestic violence growing up. Despite the large number of violent offenders who were abused as children, the number of child abuse victims who do not resort to violence as adults is far greater. These children had broken the cycle of abuse. Unfortunately, today's perpetrator was not able to break the cycle of violence, destroying his family along with another's as a result. Okay, on to the show. Brianna Zunino Dennison was born March 2, 1988, in Reno, Nevada. Her parents were Jeff and Bridget Dennison. Jeff had built a fortune, starting at the early age of 19, when he purchased a half-interest in Big O Tires. When he was 21 years old, he bought the other half-interest in the franchise. At the time, he was the youngest person in America who owned a nationwide franchise. After that, he began several new companies and purchased others. In 1993, Jeff and Bridget added a son, Brighton, to the family. Unfortunately, approximately a year after Brighton was born, Jeff was accused of embezzlement of almost $2.5 million and of floating almost a million dollars in checks. On August 27, 1994, Jeff hung himself in his office on West 2nd Street in Reno, Nevada. He was only 34 years old at the time of his death. Just a few days after his death, Brianna wrote a letter to the Reno Gazette Journal, who had published the original article about her father's completed suicide. Brianna wrote, This letter is in response to the article written about my daddy, Jeffrey Scott Dennison, on April 29, 1994. My daddy always kept his promises. He built me a playhouse, a swing, a sandbox, and a flower garden. Also, a fence around our swimming pool. He played with me on weekends and holidays. Sometimes it would take a long time for him to keep a promise because he was so busy, but he always kept his promise. Like the promise he made to you, he would have kept it if you had given him more time and worked with him. Now my daddy is in heaven, and he can't keep any more promises. I would give you my playhouse and my sandbox to have my daddy back. I miss him so much. She was only six at the time. After Jeff's death, Bridget moved the family back to her hometown of Mendocino, California, where they remained until the early 2000s, when they moved back to Reno, Nevada. Brianna's mother called her breezy because she was a breath of fresh air on a cool summer day. She was outgoing and compassionate and was also a goofball with a feisty sense of humor. Her friends also said she had a radiant personality and was loyal. She was an adored daughter, sister, niece, and granddaughter, who was always thoughtful of others, spiritual, respectful, and trusting. 
Brianna graduated from Reno High School in 2006. She enrolled in college at Santa Barbara City College in Santa Barbara, California, determined to be a child psychologist. She enrolled in child psychology because of her own need for therapy after her father's death. She had art therapy to help her as a child. On January 19, 2008, Brianna, 19 at the time, and her friend Jessica Deal went to their friend K.T. Hunter's house around 7 or 8 p.m. Hunter lived close to the University of Nevada, Reno campus at 1395 McKay Court. K.T.'s house was just a three-minute walk to the campus. The trio of friends were getting ready for a party called SWAT, which was being held at the Sands Regency Casino Hotel. Later, they took a bus to the Reno Sparks Livestock Event Center to attend a concert. After the concert, Katie and Brianna went back to the hotel, while Jessica went back to KT's house to sleep. Brianna and KT were hungry, so they ate at Mel's Diner, a restaurant inside the Sands Regency. Around 4 a.m., they got a ride back to KT's house with a friend. Jessica was asleep in KT's bed, so Brianna went to sleep on the couch. Katie handed Brianna a pillow, two blankets, and a teddy bear to elevate the pillow before she headed to bed herself. When KT left the room, Brianna was texting her boyfriend at 4.23 a.m. When KT woke up later that morning, Brianna was no longer on the couch. She noticed a blood stain about the size of a silver dollar on the pillow, which she didn't think much of at first, believing her dog had chewed something up and thrown up on the pillow. But as KT searched the house for Brianna, she realized Brianna's purse, shoes, and cell phone were still in the living room. She started to worry about the blood, so called Brianna's mother to see if she should call the police. Bridget said yes and headed over to KT's to wait for the police. Officer Benjamin Rhodes arrived at KT's house. He observed someone had been sleeping on a futon sofa in the living room. Officer Rhodes saw a blanket on the futon and another one on the kitchen floor. The one on the kitchen floor was on a path between the couch and the back of the house. The teddy bear she had been sleeping on was missing. There were three blood stains on the futon between one to three inches in diameter. These stains were a mixture of blood, saliva, and mucus just below mascara smears. These stains were swapped for DNA and it was determined these spots were Brianna's. Forensic pathologist believe that Brianna appeared to have suffered an actively bleeding injury in or near her mouth, throat, or nose at the time when her face was being pressed hard against the pillow. Investigators believe the pillow was used to restrain or smother Brianna. The front door was glass, so the killer could have seen Brianna sleeping and walked inside because KT never locked her doors. They also wondered if he had knocked on the door and persuaded Brianna to let him in. Investigators also swapped the back doorknob for DNA. Search parties quickly organized and volunteers searched a 100-square-mile area in and around Reno. But Brianna had seemingly vanished into thin air. People began wearing blue ribbons to bring awareness to her disappearance. Blue was her favorite color. On January 24, 2008, investigators announced they were going to speak to approximately 100 registered sex offenders who lived within a mile of KT's home. They also announced they were going to speak to all registered sex offenders in Washoe County, which was around 1,700 at the time.
A few days after her disappearance, Brianna's brother Brighton made an emotional plea to the kidnapper. Whoever has her, I want her back. We love her. She's ours, and we want her back. She is one of the nicest girls, and if ever did this, is watching just, she's so nice, just, please. Bree is 19-year-old Brianna Dennison, a college student who went to a concert and a party in downtown Reno Saturday. She spent the night on a couch at her friend's house, but by early Sunday morning, she had vanished. She wasn't there, and I noticed blood on the pillow, so we called the cops, and from there, it's just been the nightmare. Dennison goes to college in Santa Barbara, California, but she was in Reno visiting friends and family for the weekend. Brianna's friend says the front door was not locked that night. Nevada police say they would like to talk to a man who dropped off a friend of Dennison's at the home. Surveillance footage shows the man's SUV leaving the hotel parking lot. Her aunt says Brianna had also gotten a text message from her boyfriend that night. Just awful. They were breaking up kind of stuff, you know, and he just was saying awful things to her, you know, calling her all kinds of names and stuff like that. He was just jealous and young. Authorities say Brianna left behind her purse, cell phone, and some clothing. Dennison's family is not giving up hope, but said they are confused by the events of the night. What scares me is like the dog not barking. Did he know that person that came in? Did they sleep through a dog barking? Why did Brianna not scream? No suspects have been named in the case, but they are treating it as a kidnapping. Camille Bohan in the Associated Press. It wasn't long before the DNA from the doorknob was linked to the unsolved kidnapping and rape of a University of Nevada, Reno student on December 16, 2007. Around 2 o'clock a.m. on December 16, 2007, just a little over a month before Brianna's disappearance, a 22-year-old student identified as E.C. had parked her vehicle at her home on the 1400 block of North Virginia Street. As she exited her vehicle, an unknown assailant rushed up behind her, choked her until she lost consciousness, and put her in his truck. He left the scene and drove until E.C. woke up. When she did, her glasses were shattered. She had injuries on her face and her eyes were partially covered in blood. Her kidnapper raped E.C., then drove her back to her home and dropped her off. She called the police and had a rape kit done. They found fibers on E.C. that were similar to vehicle carpet fibers. Her underwear had been taken by her rapist, likely as a trophy. The address where E.C. was abducted was a mere six-minute walk from K.T. Hunter's house. E.C. was also able to give the investigators a very good description of not just the vehicle, but the assailant as well. The truck was mid-sized with an extended cab. She gave very detailed information about the console, the seats, the lever on the seats, and more. She also recalled a baby shoe on the floor of the truck. Police spoke with automobile experts who said the truck was likely a 2001 to 2006 Toyota Tacoma. EC described the attacker as a white male in his 20s to mid-30s, medium to dark brown hair, a large and somewhat heavy build, not overly muscular, large hands with meaty fingers and a groomed genital area. On January 31, 2008, another University of Nevada, Reno student came forward to say she had been raped in a campus parking garage on October 22, 2007. The victim, known as A.C., 
only reported the rape because of the news coverage about Brianna. She told investigators she was walking to her car after an evening class when someone grabbed her from behind, pushed her to the ground, and then dragged her between two parked cars. She was raped at gunpoint, and then her assailant took her underwear. She gave the police a description for a sketch. There was a third report of a possible assault that took place on November 13, 2007, around 5 p.m. A 21-year-old University of Nevada, Reno student was walking through the parking lot of her apartment complex at the 400 block of College Drive, which was a two-minute walk from KT Hunter's house. As she was walking, someone grabbed her and fondled her. Police found a condom in the area where she was fondled. DNA on the condom matched that of the DNA from KT's doorknob. On February 2nd, 2008, Brianna's disappearance was featured on America's Most Wanted. On February 4th, the Washoe County Sheriff asked for donations, setting a goal of the $150,000 needed to clear the backlog of 3,000 DNA samples from convicted offenders that needed to be processed. By February 8th, they had surpassed their goal. On February 13th, it was reported that approximately 1,700 volunteers had assisted in the search for Brianna thus far. However, there was still no sign of her. On February 15th, Alberto Jimenez walked to a sandwich shop for lunch. On his way back to Electronics Evolution Technologies on Double R Boulevard where he worked, Alberto took a shortcut through a vacant parking lot. He saw a Christmas tree in the lot laying on its side and then bright colored socks. The socks were attached to something, so Alberto looked closer. At first, Alberto thought the socks were attached to a mannequin. Listener note, if you have been listening to true crime for a very long time, you know it's never a mannequin. But then he saw wounds on the shoulder and two perfect rows of teeth on the right side of the body's face. Alberto ran back to work and told his manager, Scott Ferris, about what he had discovered. They went back to the lot and Scott contacted the police. A body found in Reno, Nevada Friday is that of 19-year-old Brianna Dennison. Police confirmed the identity Saturday. Dennison was abducted from a friend's apartment nearly a month ago as she slept on a couch. Police say she was strangled by a serial rapist. Her body was found in a field about eight miles from where she was last seen. Police say it had been there for more than a week. Heavy snowfall in recent weeks may have delayed the discovery. Police say they're looking for a serial rapist who has been tied by DNA evidence to at least two other crimes. In the days after Dennison's disappearance, friends and volunteers repeatedly searched for her, hoping she would be found alive. Matt Friedman, The Associated Press. When police arrived, they found Brianna's body in a small drainage culvert about 40 feet from Sand Hill Road, west of Double R Boulevard. This was approximately eight miles from where she was taken. She had been hidden by a dead tree, the discarded Christmas tree, and a large rock. Small predators had caused some damage to Brianna's body, but the cold weather had kept her body well-preserved and intact. She was naked, except for the bright-colored socks. Under Brianna's right knee were two pairs of women's thong underwear. One pair was solid pink, while the other pair was black with the pink panther's face. The pink pair were allegedly KT's, 
but no one knew where the Pink Panther underwear came from. They were too large to be Brianna's, and DNA found on the underwear did not match anyone from KT's house. It was theorized they were left to taunt police. Some reports only listed one pair of underwear, but when an arrest was made, the arrest warrant listed both pairs. DNA swabs were taken from Brianna's perineum and entrance to her vagina. The swabs and DNA on the underwear matched the DNA found on the doorknob, but there was also a trace of DNA that did not match either Brianna or the doorknob sample. This could have been as a result of a third party, but was most likely a contamination or an artifact of the PCR reaction from processing lower levels of DNA. All three experts said that even if this was a third party's DNA, the DNA from the perineum was from the male DNA found on the doorknob. Dr. Ellen Clark performed the autopsy on Brianna. Fibers were found on Brianna's socks, which were later important in making an identification. Brianna had bruises all over her body, along with a ligature mark on the front and side of her neck. Dr. Clark made the determination that one of the pairs of thong underwear had been used to strangle Brianna. Her cause of death was strangulation. Brianna's funeral was held on February 23rd in Reno, with more than 3,000 people attending. Three members of the Westboro Baptist Church picketed Brianna's funeral as retaliation for the police not protecting them during Sergeant Sean Gole's funeral during 2008. Sergeant Gole was killed in Iraq. During Brianna's funeral, they carried signs that said, Pray for more dead kids, don't worship the dead, and God sent the killer. On March 13th, the Washoe County Sheriff announced that the backlog of DNA profiles had been processed, but Brianna's killer was not found in the backlog. However, they were able to clear 30 unsolved cases, linking them to convicted offenders in the backlog. By April 5th, more than 4,000 tips had been given to the police. None of the tips, or the ones they continued to receive, led to any arrests until November. On November 1st, 2008, an anonymous tip was received by a friend of Carlene Harmon. Carlene Harmon was the girlfriend of a man named James Bila, and the couple shared a child. Carlene had revealed to her friend that she and James were having problems. In September of that year, she had been helping James move back to Sparks, where they had a house together, when she found a pair of underwear in James's new truck. When confronted about the underwear, he told Carlene he had stolen them from a laundromat. On November 7th, 27-year-old James Bila was interviewed by investigators. They couldn't help but notice that he matched the description given by the victims and found out he had recently owned a 2006 Toyota Tacoma. James protested and said he didn't have anything to do with Brianna's murder and even had alibis for the morning E.C. was kidnapped and raped. And the morning Brianna disappeared, he was with his girlfriend. Investigators asked him if he would provide a DNA sample, but he refused. One detective wrote in his notes that James seemed very nervous. He wouldn't make eye contact, he was sweating profusely, and he was fidgety. On November 12th, some of James's co-workers spoke with investigators. 
They told police that the day Brianna was found, James had said, the bitch probably had it coming. The same day, James asked to be laid off from his job because he wanted to go to Washington State and work on a new power plant project. When his boss refused to give him a layoff, James demanded one, seeming frustrated and antsy. James also sold his 2006 Toyota Tacoma in Kellogg, Idaho, as he was driving to Washington. James was out of state until September 2008, when he returned to Reno. On the same day, Carlene, James's girlfriend, was interviewed. She denied his alibi for both the morning E.C. was attacked and raped, and the day Brianna was kidnapped. She said their relationship was tumultuous and he would leave for days at a time in late 2007 and early 2008. When she asked him where he had been, he would say he was sleeping in his truck. She was able to confirm he had left Reno to search for a job in Washington in March 2008, and he had sold his Toyota Tacoma. Carlene had gone to Washington in September 2008 to help James move back to the house they shared in Sparks. She repeated to investigators what her friend had told them. As she was helping, she found a petite woman's thong in his truck. When she asked him about it, he said he had stolen it from the laundromat in Washington. Before she left, investigators asked her if they could take a DNA swab from the couple's four-year-old son. She agreed, and the DNA sample was collected. On November 25th, the DNA taken from James's son was confirmed to be a familial match to the DNA found on KT's doorknob, Brianna's body, and in the rape of E.C. and the November fondling. This was enough for an arrest warrant. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash TCFC. Now, as you know, I am a new mom, so my life is kind of crazy right now. And sure, everybody's life is full of stressors, and it doesn't matter who you are or what you have, your life is probably stressful. But I'm learning to navigate how to deal with any type of postpartum blues that I may be having, and BetterHelp has honestly really helped me. Now, you may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress is high, your temper is shorter than usual, or even if you're starting to feel strain in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. So unload the stress and get it out. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased about your life, someone who isn't going to judge you or take sides on anything. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and True Crime Fan Club podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash TCFC. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash TCFC. While TV has been a saving grace for many of us, I'm sure by now a lot of you feel like you're caught up on every single show imaginable. 
If you're tired of scrolling through the same movies or shows and miss the excitement of a weekly releases and brand new binge fest, then you have to get Acorn TV. Acorn TV is the largest commercial-free British streaming service that features compelling stories, exclusive premieres, and originals you won't find anywhere else. You get thousands of hours of new enthralling content on Acorn TV for a fraction of the cost, compared to most streaming services at just $5.99 a month. Now, my favorite collection is the vast noir collection that Acorn TV has, and so far I've been watching and really enjoying the series called Hinterland. Forsaking London for the rustic landscapes of Wales, a police detective with a troubled soul finds himself in a place with secrets as dark as his own. I mean, if that doesn't sound intriguing, I don't know what does. So if you're ready for a streaming service that offers new stories, new characters, and breathtaking sceneries every week, do what I did and get Acorn TV. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use my promo code TCFC. But you have to enter the code in all lowercase letters. That's A-C-O-R-N dot T-V code T-C-F-C to get your first 30 days free. Let's be honest, whether you're back in the office or still in your sweatpants working from home, guilty, life's day-to-day responsibilities lack the fun we all want and deserve. If you're looking for a sign to use some of that hard-earned PTO and have some much-needed fun, look no further. FunJet Vacations is a one-stop shop for all your vacation needs, and as experts in the industry, FunJet Vacations offers customers a fast, easy, and fun way to book their next vacation with exclusive package deals to all-inclusive resorts in Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean. For a limited time, our listeners can use promo code FUNJET75 for $75 off your next FunJet vacation at Ryu Hotels and Resorts. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly resort or an adults-only getaway, there's a Ryu Hotel and Resort for you. To get started, just go to funjet.com or contact your travel advisor and you'll be out of the office in no time. Offer is only valid at funjet.com when booked by October 15th for travel through December 2021. Restrictions apply. James Michael Bela was born on June 29, 1981 in Chicago, Illinois, to Kathy Lovell and Joseph Bila. James's family lived in poverty in Chicago. According to James's siblings, their father, Joseph, was extremely abusive to his wife. They said he would torment his kids, but torture Kathy. He would handcuff or tie Kathy to their bed, then beat her as he described his sexual fantasies. James's bedroom was right next to his parents' bedroom. Joseph would drag Kathy out from under the bed just so he could beat her. He broke her teeth and her ribs and also ripped out her hair and earrings. He bound her wrists so often and so severely she had to have surgery to repair the bones. James's brother Jeff would later testify in court. I can still hear it in my mind, the whipping noise the belt would make as he would whip her and her begging him to stop merciless wailing on her, just agony, torture, I guess. Joseph was asked about the abuse allegations, and he admitted to beating Kathy, but said he never beat his kids. When asked about the severity of the buildings, he replied, that you will have to ask her.
1990, Kathy finally left Joseph, taking the kids to Reno, Nevada. She finally got the courage to leave him when she thought he was going to kill her. She forgot to buy tequila on the way home, and to punish her, Joseph pulled Kathy's hair and slammed her head on the floor, which was a concrete subfloor with carpet on top. He repeatedly slammed her head on the floor, so the children ran almost a mile to their aunt's house. She called the police, who arrested Joseph. James graduated from West Valley High School in 1999. He was known as the life of the party, but was also known to have a trigger temper. Some people even said he was a bully. After he graduated, James enlisted in the Marine Corps and graduated from basic training in San Diego in fall 1999. He was promoted to Lance Corporal and transferred to Fort Lejeune in North Carolina. His success in the Marines was extremely short-lived. He was dishonorably discharged in 2001 for drug use. James went on to train as a plumber and, in 2007, was working on the University of Nevada Reno campus. This gave him a detailed knowledge of the area, which he used when choosing his victims. In November 2008, he was working as a pipe fitter for a plumbing company. As a hobby, James took martial arts training at an academy frequented by law enforcement. In July 2002, after his discharge, James was back in Reno. He got into an argument with his then-girlfriend's neighbor while drunk and wielded a knife. He was arrested on felony assault and his girlfriend filed a restraining order against him. In April 2003, James pleaded guilty to a reduced misdemeanor charge of assault. When Brianna went missing, James was living in Sparks with Carlene. Sparks was just a 10-minute drive from where Brianna was abducted. On November 25, 2008, as he was going to pick up his four-year-old son from preschool, James was arrested. Once he was arrested, James had to submit DNA samples. The DNA testing was expedited, and so by the next day, November 26, the police had confirmation James was the man responsible for the rape of E.C. and the rape and murder of Brianna. He was promptly charged with the rape and murder of Brianna the kidnapping and rape of E.C., and the rape of A.C. Police found the Toyota Tacoma that James had sold. Carpet fibers from his truck matched the fibers on Brianna's socks and on E.C. On January 28, 2009, the Washoe County District Attorney announced he was going to seek the death penalty. The trial for James began on May 12, 2009 in the Washoe County District Court. Eight women and six men sat on the jury, and the trial was led by Judge Robert Perry. District Attorney Chris Hicks was the lead prosecutor. He argued that James was a serial rapist with a fetish for women's thong underwear. He progressed from rape to murder. The DNA evidence found on Brianna's body, the underwear, and the doorknob of the back door all confirmed he was involved. His cell phone records also showed he was in the area during Brianna's abduction. Then, the fiber evidence matched. Additional evidence from E.C.'s kidnapping and assault, plus the condom in the fondling case all matched. James also had training, presumably from the Marine Corps, on how to render someone unconscious. Chief Deputy Public Defender Maisie Pusich led the defense. The defense had little to defend James with 
so their main argument was that the anonymous tip did not allow James to face his accuser. The defense also alleged that there were significant differences that would suggest the three crimes were not committed by the same person. The defense said he did not commit the rape of AC because she claimed to have gotten an STI from the rapist, but James did not have that STI. The only defense witness was an expert who argued against the DNA evidence. The defense described James as a loving and responsible father who was a good provider for his family. AC and AC both testified at the trial. AC positively identified James as the man who had raped her and said his face was the face of the man who haunts my dreams. Carlene, who was now James's ex-girlfriend, testified during the trial that she would talk to James about Brianna's disappearance, but he would remain quiet. On the rare occasions he said anything about the case, he said the only reason anyone cared was because Brianna was hot and came from a wealthy family. He said no one would care if she wasn't rich and that other people were getting raped, but nobody talks about those. James declined to testify in his own defense. On May 27, 2010, the jury deliberated for less than two hours before finding James guilty on all counts. He was also found eligible for the death penalty, so on June 2, 2010, he was sentenced to death. After the verdict was read, Brianna's grandmother Barbara went to James's mother Kathy and held her hands. Barbara spoke quietly to her, but when asked what was said, Barbara would only say, I'm a mom, she's a mom. James was also given life sentences with the possibility of parole after 36 years on July 30th, 2010. These were for the three sexual assault charges and the charge of kidnapping. Judge Perry wanted to ensure if his death sentence were overturned that James would stay in prison for the rest of his life. James's death sentence was automatically appealed to the Supreme Court of Nevada, but his conviction and the sentences were affirmed. James filed an appeal to the Supreme Court of Nevada on the grounds of ineffective counsel, but his appeal was denied in April 2019. Following Brianna's disappearance, the University of Nevada Reno campus made numerous changes to ensure the safety of their students. They installed 25 new emergency blue lights, which could be pushed during an emergency, and police would arrive within two minutes. Campus police patrolled more frequently and began escorting students from the library. The police handed out rape whistles to the female students and gave seminars on public safety. Students began carrying tasers, bear spray, and pepper spray. On November 1st, 2008, Brianna's mother, Bridget, friends, and other family members started the Bring Bree Justice Foundation. The foundation's objective was to support crime victims and lobby for advancements in DNA laws and stricter punishments against violent and sexual criminals. In May 2013, Nevada Governor Brian Sandoval signed Brianna's Law. The law requires a DNA cheek swap for every person arrested on a felony charge. If there is sufficient probable cause for the arrest, then the DNA is entered into the system to cross-reference against other crimes. If not enough probable cause exists for the arrest, then the DNA swab is destroyed and never entered into the database. Had this law been in effect in 2002 when James was arrested for the felony assault involving a knife, 
than it would have hit on his DNA in 2007. As of January 2018, more than 60,000 DNA swabs have been collected and entered. This has resulted in the closure of nine cold case murders and the identification of suspects in more than 1,000 crimes, including 100 sexual assaults. James is currently on death row at Eli State Prison in White Pine County, Nevada. No one has been executed in Nevada since 2006, and there are 76 people awaiting execution there. Brianna loved to travel, and in her short lifetime, she had traveled to Hawaii, Japan, and Egypt, and many other places. She had studied in Italy for a year and loved children and animals. She had a dog named Ozzy. Brianna was known for her million-dollar smile and sparkling blue eyes, and her outgoing and infectious personality. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on most social media platforms, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, Instagram at True Crime Fan Club Pod, and of course, our website is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, TCFCPod at gmail.com. This episode was researched by Haley Gray and written by Susie St. John, content editing by Brittany Martinez. Produced by Meeks, who happens to be the best in the business, at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. Si tienes ciertas afecciones crónicas como enfermedad cardíaca, asma, diabetes, y tienes 19 años o más, 52, 36, 42. Puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20. Vacuna conjugada antineumocósica 20 valente. Una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20 en español.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar20. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.